0: Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. All right, friends. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, if you didn't know, we are rounding, home, we're, we're like coming into home base here on our, our study of Hebrews. Today is the last Sunday we'll be in the book of Hebrews. You never know what kind of, I never know what kind of response we'll get. Like, uh, some people who experience everything as change, all change is lost, will be like, oh no, not, but I'll, I'll, I'll remind you that Hebrews is still in your Bible, so you can keep reading it. And for those of you who are like, yeah, awesome, something new, uh, next week we're going to start a series on the stained glass in this building, actually. So we're going uh, to be walking, if you didn't know this, if you look at the stained glass, starting over here on my left, you're right. Uh, these are the eight Beatitudes of Matthew chapter 5, and then a person or persons in church history connected to each one of those Beatitudes. So we're going to be exploring, you know, a little bit about St. Francis next week and blessed are the poor in spirit. And if, you, if you're following what's happening here, we'll go around this way and we'll come over here to the two missionary windows on my right and left, uh, which John Ireland is a missionary to St. Paul. We have a, a boulevard named after him. And then, of course, Columbo also known as Christopher Columbus. So in true Hollywood form, we're saving that for last. <laughs> so uh, you're going to want to stay tuned for that one. Um, before we jump into Hebrews chapter 12, uh, I'll just let you know there is a prayer space at Awaken. You're welcome to use that at any point during the gathering. Uh, and there are, there are people available every Sunday after the gatherings for prayer. So if you are in need of prayer or would like prayer for anything, they would be privileged and honored to, uh, to pray with you. So, last week, Jane uh, did a great job of talking about Hebrews chapter 11, which, if you don't know the story of Hebrews, uh, is sort of what's termed the hall of faith, as it were. Not the hall of fame, but the hall of faith. So, it's this long list of characters in the scriptures, unlikely characters who played a role in the story of God, of which Abraham is the epitome of, right? This sort of troubled fellow who, according to the author of Hebrews, was as good as dead. And yet, through doubt and anxiety and fear and wonder of what might come and whether or not God would come through Abram, Abraham turned his face towards God and exhibited faith. Uh, and so we talked about that last week, and today we'll do Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm kind of just condensing chapters 12 and 13 because everybody knows like the concluding remarks at the end of the debate, you know, like they just say what they said in the whole debate, right? So basically that's what happens in Hebrews, you know, it sort of concludes all of the things. And we're going to look at Hebrews 12, 1 through 6. And I'll let you know that this is the longest passage I have ever put to memory in the Bible. Hebrews 12, 1 to 6. I was in Chicago at the Sun Life Evangelism Missions Project. You might imagine what happens there. They, uh, like young high school students, they would teach us like apologetics training. Do you guys remember this? Apologetics is like how to defend one's faith. So all these high school students get together for this conference, and they, like, teach you how to share your faith in the morning, and then you hit the streets in the afternoon from 1 to 4. I can still see the itinerary in my mind. Like, 1 to 4, hit the streets. I hated that. Hit the streets. I, 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 I didn't want to hit the streets at all, not remotely. But there was this guy named Rob Yonan, who was, like, the host of the deal, and, and he was a, like a junior high pastor gone awry uh, on steroids. <laughs> So, I mean, he was a crazy guy, crazy guy. And he divided the room up into sections, and we'd, you know, every time we got together for chapel in the morning, we would do a part of Hebrews chapter 12, and there were actions and everything. So it was like, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that's so easy. Entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. Let us, I'm not done yet, friends. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Thank you, Rob, Yonan. Your legend lives on. So um, now that my performance is over, why don't you stand and we'll read the text from the scriptures? Uh, and uh, <laughs> uh, my wife was like, "There is no way you can preach that passage without doing that. And I'm like, "No, honey, I think I'm done with that. I don't think I'm going to do that." She was right. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter, the pioneer, according to this version, pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross Scorning at shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Pray with me. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the gift that it is. We thank you for the breath in our lungs that animates our bodies, that makes us come alive. We know that. And trust that that breath, that animation, that life comes from you. And so even just the simplest thing as our breath. We sit in wonder and in awe and in gratitude. God, I pray that as we study your scripture, as we study this word which was spoken so long ago, that it would in fact become the words of God for us today. That you might speak into our lives. That you might invite us and challenge us to take steps towards becoming fully human. The people, the humans that you created us to be, of which Jesus was the pinnacle, the mark for which we are to aim. And so, God, we turn our hearts towards that and ask that by your spirit you would transform us, change us, challenge us where we need to be challenged. And I pray that we might have hearts soft enough to respond, ears big enough to hear your small voice, and eyes to see you. I pray in Jesus' name and by the power of the Spirit and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Um, so friends, some of you know I signed up for the Twin Cities Marathon this week. If you're on the space page, the Smashbook. book... Uh, Facebook, I-, I mentioned there that I-, I, was- I was signed up for the half, by the way, how many of you are running for Team World Vision this year uh, in the marathon or the half marathon, if you are, raise your hands, yeah, don't be shy, yeah, there's a few of them here, well done, okay, so I had signed up for the half marathon, and I got to thinking, like, listen, I'm not getting younger, right, like, I'm about to be 40 in a couple years here, and I just remember thinking about my parents when I was younger, and I thought, 40 is old, I mean, they're like almost dead. Did anybody think that when they were a child? You know about their parents, yeah. And now here I am like on the door of it and I'm thinking I'm not getting any younger and if I run 13.1 miles, like why not just keep going, right? And then you're halfway there in your training and in the race. So I decided I would sign up for the marathon. Um, uh, of course, you know, the, the right answer is I wanna I, I want raise money for the, the water projects in Africa, of course, which I do, but selfishly friends, I want a great illustration for the next time I preach this passage, (laughs) right? Because every pastor, every preacher is like looking for the killer illustration, you know, just like, bam, and everyone's like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. I'm looking for that kind of an illustration. Because I've been told that the Twin Cities Marathon is one of the most epic marathons in all of the country. There are cities ac- across America that host marathons, and it's been said that the Twin Cities is literally one of the most beautiful and the, 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 the most fun, because from what I hear, my wife actually ran this two years ago, from what I hear, and I want to say because of what I saw, from what I hear, they're, like every mile is lined with people along the entire route of 26.2 miles. And then, I mean, what an epic finish, right? I mean, you're running down Summit Avenue with million-dollar homes to your right and to your left with these throngs of people listening to Roar by Katy Perry, like, "Yeah, yes, I am an animal! I did this! I mean, can you imagine that? I, I, like, that's what I want. Just these people screaming and yelling, and you're thinking, like, I am a champion! I am a winner! I did that! So that's what I want. That's what I want. So that the next time I get to Hebrews twelve, I'll be like, when I ran the Twin Cities Marathon in three hours, the people were just screaming in my name, running down Summit Avenue. I am, I am really, actually selfish and pretty self-involved. So, uh, but you're the only. I'm the only one, though, right? I'm the only one. Um, in all seriousness. Uh, this moment where there are these, these thousands of people all surrounding and cheering you on. Like, this is the analogy that the author of Hebrews begins chapter 12 with. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by all of the saints and the martyrs and those who have walked before us, they are on the other side of death and they are cheering you on, they are bearing witness to your life of faith. Therefore, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. Not that one. <laughs> Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. So what I want to do this morning is I want to walk through what the author says. He offers a couple of, and, and friends, I think a lot of times when pastors and teachers and preachers get up, they're like, what I have for you today is three, uh, three, three thoughts on how to live a faithful life. Or, you know, three thoughts about how to have a you know, better marriage or whatever. And it happens that there are three things in this passage that the author gives, but I want to frame them in a different sort of way. I want, to, I want to frame them in terms of just wisdom. The author says if you want to live a life of faith, if you want to get to the end, to the finish line, and reach the goal, which is to be faithful to the call of Jesus all the way to the end, Here's some wisdom on how to make that happen. So, if you will, let's dig in. He says, At the beginning, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So I would say it, and, and maybe this way, to get rid of the weight. Now, some of you know that Laura and Micah, my wife and I, we're, uh, we're sort of a, we're saps, we're suckers for like a sentimental show. Down Abbey, I love it. Carson? The Dowager Countess? I mean, come on! This is a great show! If you haven't watched it, you are missing out. I got some woohoo's over here. We're, so we're, we're a sucker for a good TV show, and, uh, and sometimes even a reality TV show, and I'm, I'm, I'm not proud to say, but I will say on record that we have watched multiple seasons of The Biggest Loser. I mean, in terms of all the reality shows out there, The Biggest Loser has, like, somewhat of a uh, positive outcome, right? You know, these people's lives are changed by the weight that they lose, blah, blah, blah. And you can argue whether or not, you know, it's a reality TV show, Micah. Come on, seriously? Fine, I get it. But I am in tears many times while I watch this show. One, in, in, in every season, it gets to this, this point where you have, like, 20 contestants, and you get down to the last five, and it's right before the final four, the finale. And they do this thing, this challenge, right? Throughout the season, there are challenges where they have to do this physical activity. If they win, they get immunity or they vote somebody else off the island or something like that. And the, the, the last five, they do this challenge called putting it back on. And so over the course of the season, sometimes people have lost like hundreds of pounds, or 100 and 120 pounds, and they literally like have these vests and these things. That, how many of you have seen the show? Anybody out there? Okay, a few of you. I'm not talking to just random folks who don't know anything that I'm talking about. So they put on these vests and all these, and, and each week, they like say they lose 20, then they put on a thing that has 20, and they have weights for each week that they do. And then they have to run this race, and at each stop of, of which there are the number of weeks they've been on the show, they take off. Right, the amount of weight that they lost that week, and you know, at, by the end, like the music is playing and it's like super sentimental and sappy, and all the contestants are crying, and I'm crying, you know, on the couch, and I'm just right there, and inevitably, every time one of them says, "I didn't realize how close to death I was," and if I didn't lose this weight, like who knows how long it would have been? If I hadn't gotten rid of this weight, it would have been over for me. Friends, I want to say something this morning that I'm, I recognize the, 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 the context in which I, I teach and preach every week, and for many of us, we have deconstructed a faith that was sort of just based in, like hellfire and brimstone and, and these, these sermons about like, guilt and you're going to hell if you don't do this, if you want to go to heaven, you have to, I recognize where I am, and I'm going to say this anyways, sin is real and it kills us. In Hebrew, the word hate, and in Greek, the word hamardia is the word sin. And the the word literally means to miss the mark. So there is, in Scripture, the idea that God has an intention for the world, God has a mark, as it were a sort of like bullseye, like this is the mark, this is the intention of creation and of our lives and of us as humans, and when we miss that mark in any kind of way that we do, when we choose ourselves over someone else, when we, when we destroy something that God has, in all kinds of ways, sin is real, and we, we miss the mark in all sorts of ways, and it leads to death. And so the author of Hebrews says, listen, if you want to run the race and you want to finish and, and make the goal, Throw off the things that hinder you and the sin that so easily entangles us. Which is, you know, okay, great, right? I stand up here and I'm like, stop sinning. Thank you, Micah. I'm going to go have some donuts now. <laughs> like, wh- what does that really mean? I-, I don't think I have to stand up here and tell you that you're a sinner, that I'm a sinner. Because I think that you know all of the ways that you wreck relationships. I think that you know, and I know, all of the ways in which I choose myself over you. Every day. I think I know all of, and I think you know, all of the ways in which you are missing the mark, as it were, in who you are intended to be. Fully human. Not less human. More human. So I don't think I have to stand up here and tell you that this is a problem. But the author of Hebrews says, listen, get rid of it. Put it aside. So I would, I would submit to you that uh, one way to think about this is that our hearts and our souls, have they are malleable. They, they are, they are, you can shape them. And there are sort of rivers or currents or channels that get grooved in our hearts and souls one way or the other. And so when the author says, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, I would submit to you that there are a couple of things that at least you can start here. One is practice. The church has a list of spiritual disciplines that we have been participating in from the beginning, which include things like silence and fasting and prayer and study of scripture and community, right? These are ways in which we, cha- we, we create grooves in our hearts and our souls that allow the work of God and the flow of God to happen in our lives. And the more that we do those things, the more those grooves get grooved and the deeper they go and the more capacity they can hold. And the same is true the other way. When we, when we practice, and, we, and inadvertently or, or advertently, when we practice missing the mark, those get grooved in our hearts and our souls, and it's very easy for the water to track down those ways, is it not? And so the author says, stop. What are the barriers, what are the ways that, that, are the, that the flow of God is being diverted in your heart and in your soul? Cast those things aside so one, I would say, practice. I am beating my body into submission to run this flipping marathon. Like, my hip hurt so freaking bad yesterday after I ran seven miles. Um, I'm going to not say the other thing that hurt it. Um, it rained yesterday. Have you ever, you ever ran in the rain? You know, like... <laughs> chafing, I'll just say that. <laughs> chafing. So I am beating my body into submission in order to, to make the goal, to finish the race. I'm practicing week in and week out and running miles, putting, pounding the pavement in order to do this. So I want to suggest that there, one simple way that we can cast aside, get rid of the, the blocks and the, the, the barriers in our own lives to, that block the flow of God's work in our life is Practice. What are some of the spiritual disciplines that you can participate in that you can start putting into your life that will help groove your heart and your soul to the, to the, in the direction you want it to go? And then I would say, friends, you, I, I'll speak for myself, I cannot do this alone. There's absolutely no way. I try and I try and I try. Who are the people who know what you're aiming at? If you want your life to end in a certain place and you want it to be about something, Who are the people that know what you're aiming at, and do they have permission to help put you back on track? So there's a group of people in my life, one in particular that I meet with every other week, and he and I sit knee-to-knee, toe-to-toe, shoulder-to-shoulder, eye-to-eye, and we ask each other, is there anything that we need to talk about this week? Are there any ways in which you have allowed something to get in the way of the flow and the direction that you want your life to be about? Whether it's looking at something I'm not supposed to look at or speaking in ways that I'm not supposed to speak to, or I don't want to speak to people, whether it's my wife or my kids, somebody has a key to my life because isolation is a killer and you cannot make it on your own. So, first, the author says, cast aside, get rid of the things that block the flow, the direction, the goal, the point of which you have pointed your life, cast them aside. I would submit to you, get some friends in there, ha- have them help you. Do they know what you're aiming at? Secondly, he says, run, run the race that's marked out for you with perseverance. And I want to suggest this could be read, run my race with perseverance. Run your race with perseverance. Uh, uh, this same friend of mine, actually, that I meet with, he, uh, we, he, Started a church not too long ago, and I remember vividly we're standing on his back deck. He had just finished. You get, back in the day, we did like one preview gathering every month. Was anybody here for that when we did? Yeah, when we first started, a couple of you are left. Love it. Um, we once a month we had these gatherings, and so he we're talking about his just the, right after his first preview service, where you know we're talking about it. And when two pastors get together, like you, nobody ever wants to say like, well, how many people did you have? <laughs> or nobody wants to say, oh yeah, we had a couple <laughs> hundred you know, you, you sort of hold out, and you hold out, and he's like, I mean, do we go to, like, two preview services? And I was like, dude, how many people showed up? And he's like, 350. And I'm like, oh, like, two experiences, right? One on my face, and one on my, in, on my insides. I'm like, oh, that's great, and on the inside, I'm like, what the? Fuck? You're going 350 people the first Sunday? He's like, should we go to two previews? And I'm like, I don't know. You've done in one week what I couldn't do in three and a half years. I have nothing to offer you. All on the inside. All on the inside, right? Not even, I'm just, oh, that's so cool. (laughs) And I'm just like trying to, you know, mature up, you know? Like, don't be so petty, Micah. That is just childish, and I'm just dying on the inside. A million deaths, just a hundred needles in my eye. Uh, I don't know, somewhere. And like all week, I kept thinking, like, three hundred and fifty people. That is incredible. I I am. I must be a terrible preacher. Like, must be doing something wrong. And here's what I heard. What is that to you? Do you guys remember John twenty-one? When Peter, he's with Jesus, he's out fishing, and Jesus is on the beach cooking breakfast, love it, and they see that it's Jesus, Peter jumps out of the boat, which I'm going to ask him when I get on the other side, dude, you were in a boat, why did you jump out? <laughs> you know? He jumps out, he swims up on shore, and he's asking about John, his friend. He's like, well, what about John? And Jesus' response to Peter is just arresting. And I heard it in my soul that day. What is that to you? Friends, we run around in all kinds of ways comparing ourselves to somebody else. Comparison is a thief. And it steals. For whatever reason, we run around and we compare ourselves. And here's the thing. (laughs) Newsflash. We compare me at my worst to you at Facebook best. I have no chance, right? You don't have a shot because nobody posts their worst day on Instagram. So you know who you are. You know how bad it is. You know what an idiot you actually are. And you're comparing that version of you to the Instagram version of somebody else. Guess what? You're going to lose every time. But we do this. We compare ourselves to somebody else in hopes that we might gain life from the gap that exists between you and me. Run your race. Your race is not my race, and my race is not your race. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about Eucharist, which means good gift, And in Jesus, we receive the good gift of God, broken and poured out for the healing of the world. And then we are invited into being broken and poured out for the healing of the world because this is just how it works. You are a good gift. And what happens when we compare and we try to run somebody else's race is we deny the fact that God gave you as a gift to the world. That God, in God's wisdom and um, omni-everything, created you to be you, not somebody else. And so when we run somebody else's race, or we try to run somebody else's race, we deny God's gift to the world, which is you, which is me. And in doing so, friends, when we do that, we forfeit the one life we've been given, the one wild and precious life we've been given, and we And we lose the one that we're chasing after because I can't live your life and you can't live mine. So when we do this, we forfeit both. And where do you end? With nothing, empty. You didn't live the life you were given and you can't live somebody else's life and so there you stand, isolated and alone, wondering what in that heck just happened. and we unintentionally choose a path that leads to, to, to famine and despair when all the while Jesus is saying, psst, it's right over here. Me and you is abundance and joy. So run your race, not somebody else's. And do this with Perseverance perseverance. Because I don't have to tell you how hard life is, right? I don't have to tell you and remind you how hard it gets. The other day, it all, it all goes down on Sunday mornings for people who work at the church, by the way, in case you didn't know this. The other day I show up to church, uh, my family comes, and my wife informs me that just that morning, as they were like getting ready to go, one of, we have no storm door at our home, We took it off a while ago, and we were given a gift, like a beautiful Anderson window, two panes of glass, one that pulls down with the screen. This is the Cadillac of storm doors. Somebody gives it to us. I take a whole day to install the storm door, and in one fleeting moment, one of my children runs out the door in a fit of rage. A wind gust catches it. It rips the little hydraulic thing right out of the door, smashes into the mailbox, and a million pieces of glass are everywhere. I just put that thing up. So I go home, and Laura and I, do you want to know what we did? We poured gin and tonics. (laughs) And we sat right in the middle of the glass on the front steps for hours. Because this is just a wave. Waves are not the ocean's normal. They come in sets, and then they move. They dissipate. They hit the shore. And this, whatever this is, whatever it is that you're in the middle of, whatever it is you've just experienced, this is just a wave. My mother used to say, this too shall pass. Wisdom from Claudette. It's just a wave. Run your race, your race, not somebody else's, with perseverance, because when you do, it creates things in you that will last on the other side. Things that are of life and of light. Run your race with perseverance. And last, I would say, fix our eyes. The author says, run your race with perseverance that's marked out for you. Remove the things that hinder us and fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. I used to work on the grounds crew at a golf course. Uh, for those of you that don't know, these people wake up at like 3.30 in the morning because the first tee time's at seven and when the, you know, the grounds crew is out in front of the country club members, people are like, oh my gosh, why, why isn't the green mode? Why aren't those people done with their work yet? Uh. At least that's what they say. So you get up at the crack of dawn before, long before, and one of the things that you do uh, is you mow the greens, usually every day at a country club where you have a lot of staff. And you, uh, you walk mow the greens, and so your mower is about this big. And there's a phrase in greens keeping called striping it. Now, when you're standing on the tee box and you're looking at a green and you see all these like, squiggly lines, it's like, oh, I don't even want to hit the ball to that green. But when that green is just striped like a freaking Mona Lisa, you're like, ow! Oh! it's just, it's like inspiring, you know? It's like art right there in nature. So every greenskeeper, every mower, he's is, is looking to stripe the green. And there are many smart, well-intentioned people who can't mow a straight line to save their life. Have you ever seen these people's lawns? Do you ever drive by and just go, ugh? Because you've never worked at a golf course before. I do. I drive by these people's lawns and I'm like, come on, guys, it's not that hard. People, when they try to stripe a green, this is the mistake everybody makes. This is free. This is free. They're mowing and they're like staring at the mower, just like trying to like keep it on the line ever so, you know, and you can't stripe a green doing that. You can't mow a straight line doing that. Inevitably, you will go off course, and you will look back, and you'll be like, dude, was I on crack when I mowed that, or what? The only way to stripe a green or to stripe a fairway, there was one fairway, number seven, at Midland Hills. It had this elevated tee box, and I literally, I would stripe this sucker, and then I would drive the mower up on top of the tee box, put her in park, and just sit back and be like, <laughs> what's up? That is awesome. You remember the, you remember the whole, oh, it's just Fantastic. The only way you can stripe a green, the only way you can stripe a fairway is by finding a point in the distance and fixing your eyes on it. You have like peripheral vision, so you know where you are, but you walk the mower to that spot. You don't look down. You don't look at the edge. You pick a spot out in the distance and you fix your eyes on it. Friends, if we're to live lives of faith, the only way we can do number one and two is by getting number three. Fixing our lives, our focus, our intention. our. And I would submit to you that everybody worships something. Everybody worships something. What we worship is the thing that is at the center of our lives. It's the thing that informs everything else. It's the thing that influences all of our decisions and our relationships and the way we spend our money and the way that we do life everybody worships something. For some, it's power. For some, it's money. For some, it's vocation. For some, it's sex. For some, it's relationships and where we are in the totem pole. And these are all the ways we compare, right? But everybody worships something. And the author of Hebrews says, if you're going to live a life of faith, if you want to get to the end and live a life that was worthy of the people surrounding you, this great cloud of witnesses who are cheering you on, saying you can do it Go keep, it. I almost did water boy. You can do it water You can do it. Like If you want to live that life and you want to make it to the goal, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Everybody worships something. The question is what will you focus your life on? What will your intentions be aimed at? And you may disagree with me this morning. You may say that I don't think that focusing your life and your intentions and your, the vision of your life on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is the best way to do it. That's fine. You can disagree with me. But that's my conviction. I believe that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is the pinnacle of the human experience and the way by which we find communion with God And so when we fix our lives on the life of Jesus, when we fix our intentions and our focus on this path, it leads to life. And that is the encouragement and the invitation that the author of Hebrews gives. And that's what I, as your pastor at Awaken in 2015, say. So my friends, I want to offer you a time of silence because I recognize that sometimes God has other things to say that I didn't think about. Surprise, surprise. And so I'm going to invite the band to come forward, and we're going to close with a song. And before we do that, I want to invite you to a time of silence. <clears throat> I'll invite you to think about maybe one of, one of these questions What sin is entangling you? What barrier is blocking the flow of God's activity in your life? And this is a moment of vulnerability where if we can have the courage to be honest with ourselves, I think that life is possible to come from it. So maybe that's your question this morning. What sin is entangling you? A second question maybe, if that one doesn't grab you this morning, what race are you running or whose race are you running? The Hebrews talk about names a lot of time and they talk about standing in your name. Is that where you live your life from? Or are you living it from other places trying to get something from someone else running someone else's race? Whose race are you running? And maybe if either of those two don't grab you, maybe this last one, who or what is at the center of your life? So I'm gonna offer a word of prayer and then just a few moments for you to think. What sin is entangling you? Whose race are you running? Or who or what is at the center of your life? Pray with me, if you will. God, we come to you this morning uh, in this place. And I recognize that there's so many things swirling around here. But I pray, God, that in the next few moments of silence, that your voice would be the loudest one in the room, that you would say the things that we need to hear. And wherever we come from, whether it's a place of doubt or questioning about whether you're even out there, or fully committed to following you, Jesus. I pray that you would meet each of us as only you can do and speak the question or the words that we need to hear this morning. So, God, here we are, and here you are. Friends, remember there is folks who are here available to pray with you if you have any need for prayer. Um, I love this church. I love you guys. It sounds so wonderful. This a building. It's like, whew, amazing. I don't have anything left to say other than grace and peace. That's what's yours. That's what happened. That's what's happening. So take it. Eat it. Live it. Feast on it. Grace and peace. Love you. Find us online. At www.awakencommunity.com Or on Facebook at www.facebook.com Backslash Community Or on Twitter at Awakening Community See you next time.